How many times have you wished your kid came with a manual? When we are unsure as parents, there are so many conflicting opinions that it's overwhelming to know which way is best. Even when we're intentional, situations change, which require us to be flexible and remodel our styles to meet the needs of our families. I created this podcast to share principles and strategies that I have used in counseling and education to help parents prioritize authenticity, connection, and purpose with their kids. Welcome to Remodel Parenting. Welcome back to Remodel Parenting. We're still in the Remodel Discipline series, and today we're going to talk about prioritizing emotional connection with your kids during discipline so that you can take advantage of every opportunity for connection and growth. And I want to make sure that the focus is on understanding how connecting with and attuning to your kids' emotions during discipline is not a sidestep from the behavioral component of discipline and making better choices. It actually sometimes is the biggest vehicle into seeing long-term changes with our kids. So often in discipline, the focus is all behavioral. It's you're doing these actions. I want you to not do these actions. And here's what's going to happen if you do them. And then that happens. But we all know, we all know that as our kids get older, there's more going on under the surface. They're not just making random decisions um, and interacting with their environments. There's other things driving the reasons that they're doing things, right? But what we forget sometimes too is that that starts way earlier all the way down into tiny little kids. They all got reasons for why they're doing things too. They may not be able to explain them, but it's not just behavioral interactions uh, with their environment. And this is interesting too, because it goes into some of what we teach uh, when we're counseling and we're teaching people how to counsel about understanding the motivations and the drives of behaviors. And there are some, there were, especially when some of the behavior theories were being developed, there were some theorists who said, Everything that people do is really just an interaction with their environment. There's really not a whole lot on the inside. The vast majority of counselors would disagree with that completely. Now, an early psychologist and psychiatrist would have balked at the idea that anyone would ever say that anyway. The truth is it's not all behavioral. And we can set behavioral standards in place. We can set behavioral um, expectations in place. It's very important. But it's not the whole story. So we have to capture the rest of the story in the midst of the behavior changes going on. When we tune into the emotions of our kids during discipline, one, it's so difficult to do, but we see a different outcome of their experience of feeling like we're with them in it, even if they know they've done wrong, or even if they don't believe they've done wrong and you're still holding a line, but you stop and connect with them in their emotional situation, or you listen for those things. And here's what I'll tell you. If you are listening to this part and you're already going, this is not me. I'm just not a very emotional person. I don't do the fuzzy emotional things. Um, I want to say very clearly that this emotional connection piece is not about feelings. It is kind of about feelings because we are interested in what other people are feeling. But it's not about you needing to build more feelings about what the other person is feeling. We're talking about empathy here. We're not talking about sympathy. Sympathy is feeling the same things that other people are feeling and having firsthand knowledge or experience with it. Empathy is a skilled process by which we can see the world from someone else's point of view and we value it not because it's the same as ours or because we get it fully, but because we know how to connect to that and it's important for us to know that from the other person's perspective. That's a skill. Um. These interactions with our kids and attuning to their emotions in the moments in um, discipline especially 
help create continued attachment cycles where we are connecting deeply. Attachment cycles are something that um, used to only be talked about for babies. And if you look up attachment theory, the basics of attachment theory say that from our earliest moments alive, we begin to create cycles of attachment with usually our primary caregiver, mother first, typically. Because when a baby who cannot communicate is completely helpless, when they cry, they're sending a signal for help. The mother comes, they satisfy the need, and attachment is built. And that baby learns intrinsically and internally that um, adults can be trusted and that people will take care of them. And it starts these cycles inside and they start very early. It seems like that's not something that could start that early, but it does. And when that's missing, you see ramifications from that for sometimes the rest of people's lives. Attachment cycles, though, we know don't just stop with infants. They actually continue on into our adulthood and with our relationships. Attachment cycles are happening in uh, marriages, in relationships with parents and older kids, in relationships with adults and their aging parents. These attachment cycles happen all the time where maybe I give some type of signal or say I've had a rough day and my spouse stops what they're doing, makes eye contact with me, and fully connects and says, are you all right? Can I do something for you? And that moment I feel connected to and I feel valuable, and that builds connection between us. Very intentional decisions. It's not just feelings in terms of those relational connections. Um, there's, there are processes by which they teach how to do attachment processes with older kids, um, especially older kids who have been in foster care or have trauma histories, and maybe the attachment um, processes are don't work in the same way as other people do. But we know now we can teach how to heal some of that and how to rebuild some of that in cases. And oftentimes it is during the hard conversations and holding boundaries and accountability and discipline that those happen. Um, that it's this process back and forth of being able to really distinguish clearly between the actions and the emotions and always giving priority to the emotions, giving space for those without ever leaving the boundaries and logistics and behavioral expectations conversations. And I think it's an excellent model for parenting in general with big emotions in any type of discipline procedure. Because when we are overwhelmed with emotions if we're angry if we're upset if we're struggling if we are very sad if we're grieving if there are things going on and we have big emotions our nervous system shifts and we are not able to use the front part of our brain in the same way and we become not effective in any type of planning conversations or anything else the emotions take the center stage And you all already know this because, you know, if you get thrown off, you know, you try to kind of stave off the emotions because when the emotions are high, even as an adult, you shift and change as well. Our kids are the same way. Well, sometimes we don't give them the space for that and we don't see that as as important or valuable as an adult's process. So we push them, we trigger them, and then we expect them to still hang into these conversations and somehow continue doing it right. Or we get in the process and do it wrong with them, too. But anytime emotions get real high, we have to have space to calm down and let our system settle before we go back to logistics and talking. Um, You have to give space to that. I have an episode on conflict resolution that's really great, and you can listen in on some of those. There's one about taking a time out, and that's the process I suggest using for that if you need to pick that one up. We have to connect with our kids even if we're not going to give in. 
This is not about connection at the exclusion of holding boundaries. It is so important. In fact, it's probably even more important for high connection when you are going to hold a tight line. Your kid might need to tell you things like they feel like you're being unfair or that you're mean or that you just don't get it. We have to create the spaces for them to share what they're experiencing and let us connect to it, including giving them the right language to do it. So not letting them do it in ways that are, is, you know, disqualifying or that's disrespectful, holding them to a line of how do you appropriately share hard emotions or hard feelings with someone else? Here's the language for that. Say it this way instead. And giving them the space and language to do that, but still, and, and being able to leave the logistics and then come back to, uh, back to them after the emotions are handled. Um, one of the stories that I tell for this, and my kids, uh, if, if they're big stories, my kids give me permission to use their stories. I always ask them before I throw one in here. So I always like to tell people that too, of they're never being hung out to dry and they value uh, some of the stories because we all work really hard as a family on a lot of this. But my daughter, when she was a lot younger, and uh, she is, uh, she's a, my kids are adopted. And um, she, we have really worked with attachment with her. She was very young when she was removed. And she uh, is now learning to story some of this too. And it's um, important for her to process. And she really enjoys sharing her adoption and story and her journey and process up to this point, um, just as a uh, preteen. And that's been part of her, uh, very important for her. But she was working through some of those. Um, she was at a phase where we were working through some attachment things and I was holding a line and a boundary. She pushed boundaries all the time and I was holding a line and a boundary. She got very angry with me and she, um, for the very, it was the very first time that she had ever told me anything about not loving, uh, between the two of us. But she said, you don't love me. You, you are, you know, you're mean to me. You don't love me. And, um, you don't care about me. And in that moment, of course, my heart broke and I wanted to rush in and say, I do love you. I do care about you. I do want uh, you to know that. And that's all very true, of course. But I realized in that moment, too, that Ev had really big feelings inside of her that she needed to get out. And if I rushed in and tried to validate myself and let it become about me, that she wouldn't have the opportunity to ask me to connect in the really big space. And so I told her, we're very clear on boundaries here. I said, listen, I speak for me and you speak for you. You get to say what you feel. If you don't feel like you love me right now, you can say that, but you don't get to say what I feel. I do love you you may tell me how you feel about me. And it finally came out. She finally said, I don't love you. And it's not that I wanted to push her into the space of saying that for any reason, except that I needed her to see that she could say the thing that was the biggest and the worst part of her, at least at that moment, and that I was still there, that we weren't going to avoid that, that we weren't going to do anything with it. Everything, I don't even remember what the boundary was that I was setting. It probably wasn't a really big deal because she would do this in some non-big deal situations. We paused all of that and we only worked on this for a while and worked through it. And I was able to tell her, I am okay with you when you don't feel like you love me. I will still love you. She needed those messages and she needed me to connect with her in the big feelings. And later, you know, of course she came back later and said, that's not true. I do love you. And I said, it's okay. And even in the moments where you feel those things again, whether you choose to say them or not, I'm still going to love you. That was such an invaluable and important place. And it's because 
we're clear on the boundaries of whose is what and and where we do or don't swoop in. That I we don't necessarily swoop in and rescue out of deep emotions. We actually lean into them. And that's a much more healthy space to be. We don't, especially as kids get older, um, it's easy as parents to to just keep satiating kids' needs to regulate their emotions, but kids have to learn to regulate their own emotions. Otherwise, they can't function healthily as an adult in regulating their emotions internally too. And so um, allowing them the space to kind of sit in that tension of emotions and then be able to ask for the connection in it um, and for you to respond is incredibly powerful. And then when it was all over and she asked again, so can I do this thing? The answer was still no. Um, But it did not take away from, listen, if you're hurting, the world stops and we tend to the hurting. Um, you This is all, a lot of this is bleeding over into some communication tactics and strategies too of how we speak and how we communicate to one another, assertiveness, clear, uh, direct speech to each other and being clear about what we need and want. Um, you can't teach good communication or practice it if you don't know it. There, I do have a series on communication in this podcast, episodes 10 through 14, if you need to go pick those up. Um But this process works for little kids. It also works all the way through as they get older. It is at the core of maintaining connection with our kids, especially as things get hard. And it can bridge a lot of the gaps that people that are pretty normal. A lot of the rubs and the contention and the the conflict is normal as kids get older. But how you handle it really can change the ends of the stories and the storylines temporarily. It's not just a holding out and waiting until they're past the stages um, to feel like you're connected to your kids again. We look for the ways where we can connect. So as you're working with little kids, you you might say some of these same things, but you would say them to older kids too. You can say things like, listen, I care. I'm sorry you don't feel that right now. Is there something I can do to help you feel like I care more while I'm, I'm not going to budge on this thing that you want? And you can language that for small kids, and you can language it all the way up for your older teens. Um, you can say things like, I've been here too. Would you like for me to tell you about it? Like, I felt this way before, too, in this certain type of situation. Would Do you feel like it'd be helpful if I told you the story? Do you want me to tell you the story? I always suggest the more moody that your kids get and the more angry they are at you, that you start using more opportunities to ask them for permission uh, for things and let them say no. If they say no, you can say, okay, well, I do have that story. If you ever want to hear it, all you have to do is ask. I'd love to share it with you. It's like giving them the spaces and the power for their boundaries in the moment and letting them say no if they don't, if they want to. And sometimes they'll say no. And you say, that's fine. I can, we can sit, I can tell you later if you want to, just let me know. And they might turn around and go, no, 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 just go ahead and tell me now. It's like just being able to say the no is the freeing thing to be able to say yes. And then just giving them the emotional freedom to struggle and be in bad moods. We are way more likely to write off other adults' bad moods and struggles than we are our kids. And they're whole people. And they're not going to have it all together all the time. There's going to be harder days. And we can language and story that for them too and help them understand that we're all in this together. They can't use their bad moods and their issues to control other people or to be mean to other people or to do anything else. But they get to have all of that um, and live in that space with us and that we'll be present with them. As part of giving them permission to struggle, we cannot hold our kids responsible for balancing the emotions of our house or stabilizing the emotions of our house. If that rolls on our kids, the hierarchy is upside down as well. They're still running the house with their emotions 
even if we're the ones that are requiring them to stabilize it. Um, we have to be a containing space for them. The emotions aren't ours, and it's okay if their emotions aren't great, but we just have to open up the space and say, you can have the emotions, and here's how to deal with them effectively and respectfully at this moment. You can share them or you can choose not to, but you don't just get up and walk away. You cannot storm out of a room. That's not healthy communication. I won't do that to you. You cannot do that to me. You can say, I need a break, or can we take a time out? And go take, tell me what time you need. I won't force you to come back, but we're not going to do anything else until we come back to this. And go to your room and play video games or whatever. So you can see this connection within the boundaries. Everything stops if you're struggling. There's still clear boundaries that keep you from manipulating the situation with emotions. And we have to deal with our own junk along the way of this process because it gets in the way when our kids start learning how to navigate emotionally through hard conversations. They push against us. And if we've got stuff that's unresolved, it will explode inside of us sometimes. The other thing that we have to do as parents in hard conversations with our kids is we have to listen for the soft emotions that are coming out. As they get older, kids seem to get harder um, and they can push back even more they lash out more and when that happens we have a tendency to lash right back out we have a tendency to um to react to how they're dealing with us instead of responding to them in an intentional way and we have to restructure our process to hear when they're getting more angry and more cold and lashing out we have to look for where this what they're doing with this power and control struggle and we have to hear for the softened space sometimes we have to push back on them and make sure we're holding a whole whole boundary but at some point they're going to crack a little and you're going to hear the emotion and you have to be able to stop the world and connect to that my son gave me permission to use a story um that that really shows this well he was um, struggling in school at one point, not struggling in his classes, just with motivation. And he was struggling with some pretty big things that had gone on in our lives. And he was pushing back. One of the ways that he was just pushing back was just not doing some of his assignments. And he had he'd gotten back on top of it. He'd asked to have autonomy over it again for us to stop checking all the time. And so we did. And for a few weeks, he kept it up and then found out that he wasn't again. And... Um, I made him go in and redo some assignments and then instead of doing them he went in and just marked them as done but just didn't really do them and man it was we had one of the biggest lockdowns um, and holds because he got really angry he had marked them all as done so he couldn't find them and I told him he had to go find them and do them and he couldn't find them he was mad that I wouldn't come find them for him and um, I said you know this is this is the result of how this works when you try to take the easy way and the lazy way it creates more work and more time and so he was just like lobbing things my way and we were at a standstill i got really upset and frustrated at him we locked horns several times i was angry he was angry and it was back and forth back and forth and he was just not wanting to do these assignments and um held a tight line and a hard line on him and I made it really clear I said you are backing me into a corner and I'm not going to back up any further you are blaming me for something that was a result of your choices and we're finished with that so you need to be quiet and do your work and he slumped back in his chair and he said something to the effect of um it's just like the rest of my life I'm I'm just a burden and I heard that and I get a little teary even thinking about it right now and I and I heard the softness. He was being hard still. He was being, he threw it out there, but I caught that it was a very soft moment. 
and everything stopped. And so I stopped exactly what I was doing and I moved into a chair close to him. And I said, I need you to say that again, because we need to talk about that. And so we got to really unpack and talk about the fact that he's not a burden. And that if this is a storyline that has come up in his mind about himself and his life, because of some of the things he's been through that I don't want to contribute to that. And I can see how he would feel that way because of some of the ways I was responding with me not knowing that narrative was happening inside of him, but that's not a narrative I want to continue. And so we stopped and we worked it all out in that moment. And he didn't get all of his homework done that night. He had to do it the next day, but everything stopped. And then we got back to the homework and it was done, but it was this amazing space that happened in there that was so important for us. And it was really important for his story too. We can't make it about us. These big emotions in our kids are not about us, but it can be easy to make it about us. And we really have to balance justice and grace with our kids. And I tell mine, the the way that I talk to them about it is that when you come with arrogance or pride or you think that you're right, you're going to have to hit a wall. I have to bring the justice. But if you can come with your humility and you can come in a way that says, I realize that I've done something wrong. I realize that I've handled things incorrectly then I can meet you with grace. But anytime you're coming with pride, I have to come back with the strong side that you have to hit a wall because that's not going to work for you through life to navigate with that being your first leg. But the minute that you tap into that humility, I will tap into the grace too, and we will work on this together. That's another meta process that then turns around and changes the narrative when you're in, when you're in it. They really do get it over time. It's consistency, and you have to do it over and over again. And you don't have to get too wrapped up in wondering if they are emotionally manipulating you, because even if they're trying to use emotions to do that, they're finding the boundaries where you're not going to let them go outside of that and use it that way, that we will stop, but nothing else happens until we we work on and handle both the emotional piece now and the logistical piece of whatever boundary we're holding. Not all disciplinary actions have to be reactive or punitive. These are discipline actions too, this connecting to the emotions. Um, and that's part of the proactive process of discipline. But there are other proactive processes of discipline too. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk about teaching kids strategy and goal setting um, as a precursor and as a preventative strategy as part of your disciplinary process and give you some really cool steps in how uh, to teach them even from an early age and support them in taking ownership of being the bosses of their own lives and taking on the rules and the ways of acting as their own being their own guide in that and not just having to rely on you as the parent so that they can mature and everyone gets what they want because we're on the same team. Thank you for listening to Remodel Parenting. If this has been helpful for you, share it with a friend and subscribe to the podcast so you won't miss our weekly episodes. You can visit theremodelproject.com to sign up for our email list and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.